Michael Sonbert and Antonio Vance have held nearly every job in K-12 education. They've coached, trained, and partnered with thousands of teachers and school leaders from over 100 cities and eight countries around the world. They are Skyrocket Educator Training, and these are their informal observations. Welcome, welcome, welcome to Informal Observations with Skyrocket Education. My name is Michael Sombert, the founder of Skyrocket, here as always with the good doctor, Dr. Antonio Vance. Antonio, how are you, man? I'm amazing, Michael, as always. <laughs> what, um, this is episode, this is season two, episode two. Yes. Are you feeling fired up? I am, I'm ready to get this season going. We have some amazing guests lined up and some great topics, ready to get this going. What was the response from your friends and family and most importantly, your millions of fans to season <laughs> two, episode one? Finally, where have you all been? You know, the regular, you know, beat us up. Um, but for some reason, folks can't remember the password from the last uh, last session. So I'm not buying it. Not buying it. Can't say the I had password. Somebody, I had somebody email me the other day and he's, he knew Upsilon was the password. Is that what we landed on? <laughs> yep. All right. All right. There we go. His name is Chris, Chris uh, Webble. I don't know if I should say his last name, Too but late. I did principal in new york um let's get into it man tonight's guest i'm so excited um for uh tonight's guest she's gonna be coming out in a little bit she's an entrepreneur she is a game changer she has started an incredible organization called eliminate girl hate and i am so excited for us to get to talk to her and for our audience to get to learn from her before we get there Three questions for the good doctor, Dr. Antonio Vance. Antonio, I've been thinking about social media a lot. Did you see this thing? These internal memos that Mark Zuckerberg, uh, they were just like released or discovered, but that like Zuckerberg is aware that Instagram, because I think Facebook owns Instagram, that Facebook, that Instagram rather, he is aware that it has a negative impact on people, particularly on young girls and is not doing anything about it. My question for you is, the social media, man, do the positives outweigh the negatives? And if, if so, why? And if not, tell us why as well. Michael, you know I'm not a social media socialite. Um, you are not. You are not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not. I, I have the sites, but I don't spend a lot of time, um, you know, with some of the absurdity that's there. This is my, my thing. Unfortunately, and this is my opinion, I think that the negatives um, somehow carry more, more, more weight. And I don't know if it's because that's, you know, like it's the, the, the drive in, in humans to like do crazy things like parachuting or like when something terrible happens, like you just can't look away. Um, mm. But I, I feel like uh, oftentimes, you know, if there's something positive, there's it, the, the trending isn't as, as, as much as things that are, are negative. And I do think that we have to be mindful, um, especially about things that are negative in social media. For some, some reason, I'm sure there's some psychology around it, the negatives seem to, to latch on um, more prevalent to folks than, than positives. I, I, uh, I grew up watching a TV show called The Simpsons, and everybody's familiar with it. And there was an episode once where um, Bart, who's the troublemaker, 
is hanging out with the two neighbors' kids, Ned Flanders' kids, Rod and Todd. And these kids are the biggest do-gooders on the planet. They've never done anything wrong. And Bart gives them pixie sticks for the first time. You know those sticks where there's just you just pour sugar straight it's into straight your mouth? Straight sugar, yes. Straight <laughs> sugar. And so he gives them pixie sticks. And within two seconds, they are slapping each other. And uh, they're still they're still super G-rated because they're they're uh, you know a little a little prude, but they're saying like they're calling each other poopy head and all these different you know <laughs> as I said G-rated nicknames. But um, it reminds me of what social media like they they were not ready for for the pixie sticks, and I feel like we are not as a society ready for instant communication and online arguments and differings of opinion. I've talked about this on a previous episode, but there's communication as a skill. And sometimes I'll wait 24 hours to send an email and I know you will as well. And you and I talk like, hey, here's the thing. What, what should our response be, right? And we like norm around those things. What's the response that's gonna make the other person feel good but also get us to a, a place where there's like a mutually beneficial result. And I think social media, in addition to what you're talking about with really the focus on the negative and uh, my friend sent me a video the other day and they're like, watch this video. And it's a guy, he jumps off like, he's in like a, an amateur wrestling ring and he jumps off the top rope and his leg just goes bam and like basically caves in on itself. And I'm like, I'm so mad. I'm like, why'd you send that to me? It was disgusting. And yeah. it was I, I, like, I actually felt nauseous. And in addition to that stuff, I feel like social media has unleashed this like world of, um, I don't know how to communicate. I'm going to yell and scream. I'm a keyboard tough guy. And I really think I'm, I'm so interested to hear what our guest thinks about it, just in terms of like impact on, on body image, female body image, bullying, um, I was talking to uh, actually one of the one of the women on our team the other day, and she has a stepdaughter who's a, a teenager. And she said, you know, I said, you know, how's it? What's it like to be you know a parent of a of, of teens? And she said, um, you know, when I was younger, she's talking about herself. So when I was younger, uh, I'd call my friends if they said they were busy. I just took it at face value, and they were busy. Maybe and maybe they weren't always busy, but maybe they just didn't want to hang out with me, or maybe they had other plans. And she said, my, my stepdaughter has to like, she, her friends will say they're not doing anything. And then she'll see a social media post of like everybody but her hanging out. And like what the impact is on a, on a young person. So, man. I, Michael, I that happens that, to me as an adult. It so, happens to you really with your friends? I think you've actually done that to me before. I've done it to you. <laughs> I said I can't hang out and then I'm doing something fun. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about it offline. What what do I do fun besides uh, hang out with my uh, children? By the way, hanging out with my children is a lot of fun. <laughs> Any of them are listening. Betty, Penny. Um, but really, I think I, I think that Zuckerberg and Jack Dorsey from Twitter and Ohanian from Reddit. I think that they are the new tobacco barons. I think oh. that I I think that I don't. I'm not suggesting that they started something that they thought was going to be this insidious. Uh, 
And I don't think the folks that started that first made cigarettes thought so either. I think they're like, this is fun. It's a great way to relax. And I think it's turned into an absolute fucking monster. And I think we'd be so much more well served if social media was just, uh, if it was just eliminated. Right and I'm away. sure our, our educators um, that are listening will certainly agree. You think so? I mean, yeah, I mean, we can talk all day about the drama that social media starts with schools. And um, like, like I said, I'm, I'm very interested in hearing what our guest has to say as we um, think about his impact on, on those identify as girls. All right, man. Question number two, what's something you learned recently? What is something mm -hmm. you learned recently? Well, you know, I don't think it's something that's like brand new. It just sort of reinforces what I already know. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry, everyone. Michael is <laughs> getting the party started early. You can tell people what I'm doing. You can say what I'm doing. <laughs> we'll, we'll tell them in question number three. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, we talk all the time about practice, 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 practice. And um, I don't know if you watch the U.S. Open. Um, but yeah. um, I am a I am a, a Novak fan. I am I've always been a, a fan of of Novak uh, Djokovic. And I don't know if you saw it. Um, in the in the semifinal match. Um, he went for a ball and did his little slide, and he sort of like fell over. And as I watched it, I was like, that was the corniest fall I've ever mm, seen in my life mm. and come to find out he actually practices how to fall he he actually spends time sliding pulling his wrist in and falling to a side and rolling over so not to injure his you know 150 million dollar uh prize winning wrist and I just thought it was just such a testimony to what we talk about all the time, that the importance of practicing every single thing that we do with educators um, in practice. I mean, there, there are things that I started practicing my own life to make sure that when mm. things happen, I'm just there. And so I think it was just a, a really wonderful testimony to um, the importance of practice. It's that thing that when you least expect something to happen, it just kicks in. He didn't think about it. His wrist came in, shoulder tilted to the side, and he just rolled. And mm -hmm. I'm, and you know, just to hear that he practices that over and over and over again, um, I think it's just a great testimony to um, one, you know, a great athlete, but also the the work that that we do. And certainly, I know our partners who sit across from us, and we ask them to practice, you know, for the twenty second time, right. uh, giving clear directions that there's a rationale and a reason. Um, and it was just great to see. Um, to, to, to see and hear why that's important. It's funny, man. Uh, years ago, not years ago, about nine years ago, the Washington football team had a quarterback named RG3, Robert Griffin III, and he was notorious for not sliding. Mm -hmm. Quarterbacks are supposed to slide. They're supposed to give themselves up, and he would just take punishment after punishment <laughs> on every, every yeah. time he ran the ball. And they actually hired uh, baseball players to come to Washington to teach him how to slide. Baseball players, obviously, they slide into, you know, second, third, home home plate. And they hired uh, uh, baseball players to teach him how to slide. It didn't, it didn't work. 
Um, but I do think it's interesting to your point, this idea of let's practice how to do this thing, right? Practice everything. Nothing, don't leave anything to chance. Yep, absolutely. Um, I learned one of our, um, one of our uh, coaches started working at schools in Detroit this last week. And I knew this. I haven't worked on site in schools in Detroit in about five years. But um, she found out the hard way that Detroit's in the Eastern time zone, which uh, so all her meetings, she was off in all her meeting times. And it reminded <laughs> me that when I first went to Detroit, that I had the same exact learning that I um, that I, I, I didn't know that Detroit was in the Eastern time zone. And I missed all my meetings that very first time I went out there. So um, that's what she learned, um, which I was uh, I was I was reminded of. Um, I don't necessarily have uh, like a, a, a learning, but I am uh, obsessed with this idea of empowerment. Um, we've talked about autonomy a lot on this show and how um, we both agree that in autonomy, particularly in education, is a BS term. Um, that it uh, that teachers don't really have autonomy, and educators don't have autonomy, and that they probably shouldn't. Um, and uh, I've been just thinking about the like whenever anybody says to me they want to empower the people on their team, it always to me not sometimes, not most of them. It it. It's always in, in response to, I haven't actually set expectations for how we operate in this place. And now I'm busted because there's a big mistake. Um, and so my response to you is going to be, I want to empower the people on my team. And so that's why I didn't tell them what their job expectations are, how they're being evaluated, how often I'm going to uh, I'm going to observe them, where the, what the deadlines are. Instead, I, I provided almost no oversight and support. And then um, and I, I'm not suggesting that people are, are, are you know, uh, malicious in their responses here, but I do think it's a default response and that um, overwhelmingly people in uh, offices and on teams are not really go-getters. They are. They do their job, the, the, the job that they're asked to do, and they don't do what they're not asked to do. And that the, the best way to empower people is to actually provide for them really clear expectations for what it looks like for work here and what we believe and how we're going to talk and what are our aligned responses uh, to X, Y, or Z questions. We worked with a, a charter school out, uh, a brand new charter school out in Beloit, Wisconsin, and they were the only charter school in the city. And one of my pieces of coaching to their team was your schools, your, your leaders should, should get aligned on the, the, the messages when somebody in the, in the community says, hey, I heard you don't take special education kids, right? Or all the stuff that you and I have heard having spent some time with, at charter schools. Um, I heard that you uh, give families backpacks full of money uh, to get them to come to your school. And what are your aligned responses going to be here? 
And so I've just been thinking about empowerment a lot and that I don't think empowerment is a first step. And it's, mu it's much more a, a last step when everybody on the team works so synergistically with each other that somebody can absolutely positively make decisions uh, or pivot uh, or do things that, um, that are outside of their typical job responsibilities because of the way the organization has set, has set them up to be able to do that. Like the, the veteran quarterback in football who can change plays at the line of scrimmage because he's able to read the defense really easily. Whereas like the rookie has a much harder time with that and has a much kind of shorter leash for lack of a better term and isn't encouraged to do those types of things. And I think organizations as a whole would be more well served to stop saying they want to empower people and start actually training people and providing them really clear expectations. Michael, I couldn't agree more. I, I had a similar uh, conversation with the school leader um, as well. And her point was, you know, um, I keep being asked to plan, you know, all the way for the next, you know, several months. And I, I can't think that far ahead. And I, you know, we, we get stuck in uh, lots of aviation analogies here. Yeah, I and I, I was like, it. well, are you a commercial pilot or are you a fighter pilot? I said, you know, mm. a fighter pilot flies by the wire. And do you want to constantly be on edge like, oh, I have to change here and I have to change course here. Or do you want to be like a commercial pilot where you know all you, where your waypoints are, you know exactly when you're going to turn. All of this is plotted out. And schools should feel very, you know, relaxed, well-oiled, um, and like a nice jet cruise from here to Hawaii, not like I'm on the edge of my seat at every single moment, wondering if I'm going to have to pull the eject button. Yeah. And I think that resonated. And it, that, that, uh, that idea of empowerment has to come later. You have to, to, to get all of these other sorts of things in, in place. So I, I appreciate that. And, it, you know, again, reinforcing what, what we know to be the best things for leaders um, across all sectors. Well, listen, man, the, 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 the next question, you know what's coming. <laughs> what, what are you drinking, if anything? Oh, yes, I'm drinking. Um, <laughs> I mean, like a lot of leaders and, and teachers, um, it's been a it's been a it's been a it's been a, a few weeks. Um, I've been reading. I read in the in a Philadelphia article today that a teacher said that they feel like it's already June. It's like the first week of school. But not and, in a good way, like June. Hey, time for break. But like, no, like I feel like that, I've been teaching for nine months. <laughs> I've been teaching for nine months already. And, and it's I been like, yeah. And um, few weeks so, yeah, now. it's been, you know, and, and, you know, in our role, we're supporting this folk, these folks. And it's, it's you know, I obviously hats off to them. And, you know, just being in that support, it's been, it's been, it's been tough. So, yes, what are you I, drinking? Oh, sorry. Having? Yeah, yeah. I, I got started start a little early. <laughs> um, I am drinking Crown, as always, with some pineapple juice. That's my go-to. Gets Crown me relaxed. Apple. Crown apple and, and pineapple. Makes me feel like I'm on a beach. You know, I'm oh, not. Man. <laughs> um, what, you can see me. What am I drinking? Do you, do you I don't know. I just keep other? seeing a... So, folks, he is drinking out the bottle. <laughs> I just, I just see like as I every time I go to talk, 
I see a bottle pivoting up in the air. <laughs> I assume it's wine. I hope it's wine. Hopefully it's not cheap wine. I'm not sure if it's cheap. It's called Cupcake, Cupcake Vineyards. Um, it's a Cabernet Sauvignon. Sounds Cabernet cheap. Sauvignon. That's how I pronounce it. Some fancy. <laughs> Uh, I'm drinking out of the bottle. I didn't plan to drink tonight. I am starting on Monday. I am doing 30 days of 75 hard. It's called phase one. After you've done 75 hard, you have to do 30 days of phase one. And you have to add in a five minute cold shower every day and a bunch of other things. So it's basically 75 hard, but harder. And so I'm going to Buffalo with my cousins this weekend to go see a football game. And uh, I'm flying home Sunday night after the game, which I should be. I should be a real delight on that flight, I'm sure. Uh, but I'm flying home, and Monday I start 30 days of just really intense discipline. So I am drinking some wine out of the bottle, and uh, I'm uh, I'm loving every minute of it. Michael, I thought we talked about this. These like 75. About- Seventy-five degrees. All right, because you're about to you're about to scold me, but it's not for being unhealthy and drinking wine. It's for being healthy and and uh, doing like physical challenges. Yes, I want to scold you about that, not about drinking cheap wine. I've already scolded you enough about that. Let's let's bring out our guest. Uh, She is an uh, an entrepreneur, um, an absolute rock star who is trying to change the world. Not everybody can say that. Not everybody can say they're trying to change the world. She is the founder of Eliminate Girl Hate. Her name is Dawn Hanks. Dawn, welcome to Informal Observations. How are you? Thank you so much for having me. I'm doing great. How are you? We are good. We are good. Um, And we are psyched to talk to you. Before we get into the, and thanks so much for being here. Before we get into uh, any content, what, uh, what, if anything, are you drinking? Well, I feel like I'm not, I didn't get the memo about the classiness of drinking out of the bottle. So I'm drinking out of the glass, but I'm also drinking a Cabernet Sauvignon, or however you say that. I'm having a no, Cabernet. You have to do a little, can you say it the way I say it? It's a Sauvignon. Sauvignon. It's pretty good, right? <laughs> My accents are really on point. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. We would if we went to France. If the three of us went to France together, they would never know. They'd never we know. We we'd get a, we'd get over famously, I'm sure. <laughs> and you have a fancy glass. You have a fancy I, glass. I do. I believe in good wine in good drinking utensils. Woo! So I have there a you good go. friend. I live because in Oregon. I'm, We're I'm, all about the good wine here. So. <laughs> um. She likes good wine and, and good and like good fancy glasses. You and you you two are are a match made in heaven right here. <laughs> um, Don, tell us what is Eliminate Girl Hate and why did you start it? I am fascinated by your organization. Tell us about it, please. Well, thank you so much, first of all, for being fascinated. You don't often hear a man say that, so it's kind of refreshing to hear that. Um, it started from a little thing where I was speaking around the country and just talking about gender differences in marketing and how to leverage um, the female customer in more positive and productive ways. Mm. And it turned into something where 
you know, I wanted to help other businesses and educational institutions really understand gender in a better way and leverage gender, um, not just for the betterment of their employees and the people that work for them, but the people that they serve and understanding that there are differences, that there are things that are being ignored in the marketplace. There are things that are being ignored in the education sector that we, you know, we can no longer avoid because we're limiting the futures of so many people by doing that. What, what, what are the, what are these differences? You talk about the differences in marketing and I know we'll, we'll talk education in a moment, uh, but, what are the differences that you that you saw and said, "Hey, I've got to I've got to do something about this right now"? Well, one of the biggest things is eighty percent of the world's purchases are made and or influenced by a woman, and a lot mm. of people are really surprised by that statistic. and And typically, if I have somebody question that, I'll ask them, "If you're are you married? And if you're married, what would happen if you bought a television, a couch, a car, and didn't consult your wife? Right? Didn't didn't talk to her about it first? Where are you sleeping that night?" Chances right. are it's on that brand new couch that you just purchased, right? <laughs> but if 80% of purchases are made by women, 97% of all manufacturing is created by men. Mm -hmm. So there's a disconnect there, not only in the people that are working in those places, but also how the products serve us. If the women are making the purchases for everybody in their life, because women don't just shop for themselves, right? They go out into the um, universe, they shop for their children, they shop for their husbands, they do the majority of grocery shopping. You've got almost 50% of sport fans are women who buy that. They're in non-traditional categories. And so, and they're also shopping for aging parents. As we live longer, the daughters tend to become the caregivers for everybody in the family. And therefore they have the ability to spend, they're making more money than they've ever made in their lifetime. So they also have the funds in which to spend. And yet we're not solving their most basic needs from a consumer standpoint. And that's a real discrepancy. And as a woman, I would go out and find products that don't meet my needs or work at brands where we weren't servicing the needs of our customers. And if we want to be good companies that deliver on the promise of service, satisfaction, product reliability, then we have to understand that the customers are not always thinking the same way. That's awesome. You know, um, I'm loving this conversation. I know, Dawn, I'm thinking, yeah. So, you know, and I, I guess the, the question is, how does that translate um, to, to K-12 and to schools as well as some of the private sector organizations? Why is this message um, important um, for schools? Well, it's easy to make a lot of assumptions and I, I don't wanna make assumptions about educators, but we do know a few things and we do know that the education system has its own biases that are involved with the students. We know it um, is especially hard as uh, girls hit the age of 14 and they start middle school and high school and how they're placed in the classroom, how they're responded to the into the classroom, whether or not they're uh, celebrated for being eager about their education or they're admonished for being eager about their education. We know that teachers call on male students more than they call on female students. We know that the expectations for what they're good on, scores for science and math drop in, in middle school for girls. The bullying starts at a higher level. All of these things start to happen, which makes the way that we educate different as well. Studies also show that boys need to be up and moving around more in their education than girls do. So it goes both ways. It's not a, you know, I am woman, woe is me. It's also about understanding those differences by gender so that we can better serve both levels of students or all levels, I should say. And, and Dawn, what is, what, would, what is your direct message 
to, to, to schools and to organizations, to marketing, what is your direct message about eliminating girl hate? What, is, what does that actually mean? I think that, you know, we have to get away from this idea that we're avoiding the hard conversations around equity, diversity, and inclusion, whether it's gender, race, religion, you name it. We have to stop thinking that we cannot have these conversations with our children and that we can't have the conversations in the classroom because the classroom is the, fa the foundational element for all of us where we go. Most of us still remember our favorite teacher, our least favorite teacher, the one that had the most impact on us, the things that we we learned that excited us, right? The things that we learned that we hated. So we have to get into these tough conversations and trust that our students and teachers can handle an open dialogue about them and give permission and equity across the board to students, regardless of their gender, race, or ethnic uh, background. Awesome. So, you know, we, Michael brought up uh, social media in our intro. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, what, what needs to change? In social media, what, what, what impact? <laughs> I know you like almost choke on the wine. Sorry, like, let me have some more wine. Um, <laughs> what impact is this happening? What 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 needs to change from your from from eliminate girl hate lens? Well, I'm so glad that Michael brought up that kind of some of the studies that have been coming out in the last week or two about the effects on our emotional well-being and especially in children. And we have to remember that children's brains are not fully de developed and not fully formed. And we're giving them permission to be on a platform that does not have any rules. We say that they do, but they don't. And there is no rules put into place to protect adults, let alone children. And the truth is we have programs. I, I just spent the week with some younger people and just hearing them talk about how they use social media. They snap pictures of themselves every five seconds from every different angle. Mm -hmm. They're picking, I heard 10 year olds talking about wanting to change the shape of their nose, uh, wanting mm -hmm. to give themselves facials every night because you know they're worried about their skin and things of that nature. We mm -hmm. as human beings are not meant to look at ourselves as much as we are looking at ourselves right now, <laughs> let alone looking at everybody else. If you think about historically, most homes in the 1900s didn't even have mirrors. And now we're looking at something that is a direct reflection of our face every single day. And we mm -hmm. zoom in on it and we pick mm -hmm. apart at it. And these platforms not only um, uh, invite us to do that, they encourage us to have that type of self-loathing for ourselves. And it's not exclusive to students. They just don't have the development to handle it most adults don't have the ability to develop that as well. I struggle with social media on a daily basis. I'm a marketer. I'm supposed to be on social media, but I hate what it does. I hate what it represents and how it portrays. I hate that there are apps to change the shape of your teeth in a photo yeah. to create these unrealistic expectations and that we're falling prey to it, all of us. And it's also, you know, this is a tough conversation, but I think it emphasizes the language that we talk to ourselves as adults, because we are the number one example that kids have. And yet we edit our photos and yet we add filters to our photos. And yet we make you take 10 photos before we accept one that works. You know, we don't use disposable cameras anymore. And we're also sending that message of self-hatred. And so they're getting it from the media and we're telling them that that's a bad place to go. And we're falling prey to it at the same time. I think it's interesting. Uh, just the, the, the photo piece uh, just struck something 
in me because uh, when you do take a group photo, even if it's just like three or four people, everybody asks to see the picture. Yep. And what do we all do? We look at ourselves. You don't look at anybody yep. else. You look at yep. yourself and you're like, no, no, do it again. Do it again. Yep. No, that's yep. a bad one. Right. And it's just yep. like, it's because like one of my eyes was closed. Yep. Don, yep. when it, when it comes to, so, I mean, I feel like, I don't know. I could be wrong here. I don't think I am. It feels like everything we're talking about is tenfold for, for women and for girls. Right. I think I see it. I see it with some of my own friends and listen, I'm no saint. I'm much different in my forties than I was in my twenties. We'll be on the beach and there'll be a woman who walks by and it's just constant comments about the stuff that's either she's a smoking hot, according to, according to the group, or there's something wrong with her that like her nose has like a, a slight hook in it. Right. Yep. Like stuff that, and it's just, uh, I mean, it feels like, and, and, and I'm sure that that comes from, you know, millennia of men thinking that they have, uh, you know, uh, license over women's bodies, that women are there for, that women are there for one purpose or maybe a handful, but it's to be at, at a man's disposal. I'm sure that it, it stems at least in part from that, though, though I, I'd love you to talk to us about that. But I mean, this feels like it's way worse for, for, yeah. for women and for girls than it is for men. It is way worse. I think there there's two ways in which it's worse. And one is just the constant pressure to meet an ideal. Right. If we look at every decade of the 20th century and um, and we look at, you know, Twiggy in the 60s. And that was the beauty aesthetic, right? Then we go into Bo Derek in the 70s and you go into a Brooke Shields in the 80s. And in the 90s, you have Kate Moss. So we're going and then we're in the Kardashian era right now. Every single one of those eras celebrated a very different aesthetic for a woman, which means that every 10 years, I don't meet a beauty trend. Right. Mm. Or every 70 years, because maybe my trend doesn't come up for a millennia or whatnot. Right. And so there's this constant pressure to meet something that is never, ever going to be an ideal that either you can meet or even keep for any sustained amount of time. And it permeates. Yes, there is a lot of men out there that say these things and are the the couch quarterback, if you will, of women's beauty. Um, But it's also what we then that permeation has done for us and what it has done in how we judge each other as women. A lot of when I talk about eliminating girl hate, I'm not sitting here and screaming at men and saying, how dare you hate women? I'm screaming at the culture that says, how dare you hate women? Because we do it to ourselves. We let uh, girls do it to us. And we perpetuate this myth that there's not enough room for us when there is room and we just have to put our shoulders out and I guess manspread, uh, to use a term that's used way too often, but we have to learn that it's okay to take up space. And what social media, I think the appeal of social media is it allows you to take up space in an environment that you can hide from. And so you're out there saying, this is me, and you're waiting. You're sitting by there waiting for the dings to come in and tell you how many comments you got or how many likes you got. And that endorphin pumps up and you get so excited. Right. And then you get one negative comment because every woman has every woman's got a real person or a bot who has said something horrific to her. I've gotten all I don't even have that many followers. You guys, I just started this. So I maybe have one hundred and fifty followers on Instagram for eliminate girl hate. So I'm not trying to say I'm setting the world on fire. But with only 150 followers, I get hate mail. 
And I get people telling me to die, telling me to kill myself, telling me to do all of these things. I'm a grown woman in my 40s. So if we can't solve this as adults dealing with it, what are we setting our kids up for? What are we putting them out into the world and saying, go out there and be part of this? And why? So, yes, I think that the Zuckerbergs of the world have a responsibility. Most certainly. We should not have apps that alter the human uh, form in a picture. I don't I don't understand that. But we have a responsibility as the adults in our life to sit there and and say, what is this and what are we going to contribute to it and how are we going to use it in positive ways? What are we going to follow? What Who are we going to connect with so that our feed or our children's feed, if we are going to participate in that world, has something that puts us in a better place than we were when we got there than a worse place? What's the... Um... The this is fascinating, by the way. I'm so thankful that you're here right now because this is just such a great conversation. Thanks. What is the what's the like the 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 girl what's the girl on girl hate? What where's the, is it is it the unrealistic realistic expectations of beauty that cause uh, a of a, a female to think that they need to knock another female down. We talked about the male aspect of it. And mm -hmm. I don't know if my theories are right, but what is it? Why are, because I've seen that. I've actually yep. seen it play out in my own life mm -hmm. and I don't do what you do, but I've seen it play out. I think we, I don't think I know that we have a history of having to claw our way to get to where we want to be. So if you, if you look at the world pre women's movement, women's live and women really pre world war two, um, when women started coming into full force into the workplace, we lost our place when the men came back. But you can't put that genie back in the bottle, right? Mm -hmm. And so women had to work and needed to work. And as we got inventions like the microwave and we got inventions like better vacuum cleaners and Swiffer mops and things like that, the role of what a woman or a quote unquote housewife um, was has changed and we don't have to be home and cleaning the house for 24 hours a day women have desires they have needs they have aspirations that they're going after right then you have things like 1972 where you have title nine which allowed women the ability to play sports and have equal access to sports among other things in our educational system those things gave women a new way of looking at life we were able to be competitive we were able to be on a team. None of those things were afforded to us before that time. But when you got into the work environment, if there was a role for somebody, there was only a role for one woman. So we were always and still to this day are told if there are five positions that are available for a scholarship, for an endowment, for a grant, right, for a job, if there are five positions available, at best, one will go to a woman. Mm. At best, 50% of that time, it'll go to a woman of color, right? We're not, we're not on equal uh, ground here. And so we think we have to compete with the other women instead of saying there's five positions and anybody can get them. So I'm competing with five people. We only mm -hmm. think we're competing for the one spot. And so we're, all, we're consistently feeling crowded in every environment that we're in, which means we have to put our elbows out and we have to create more space, right? It means that we have to push somebody aside and it seems easier to push aside another female than it does to push another male and put another chip in that glass ceiling. And that mm -hmm. is conditioned to us from the start. Wow, that's fascinating. Um... Let's switch gears a little bit. Sure. Uh, your 
your background is marketing, right? And you've worked for mm-hmm. Oakley and you've worked for Nike. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you have an, um, among among many others, right? Mm-hmm. Um, those seem to me like really glamorous jobs. Um, <laughs> why why leave why leave that world to go into the world of entrepreneurship and less certainty? Well, Michael, I ask myself that every day. (laughs) Um, There was another chug of wine, folks. There was another chug of wine. Um, Look, I can't say enough about my time working in sports and working on the brand side of things. I have had so many wonderful experiences in the course of that time. And I've got to see the world and I've got to experience some things. But the deeper that I got into corporate life, the more I saw the inequities that were happening. And not only were they happening to me, I became a boss to other people. And I saw these conversations having, I, I worked in an environment where a male executive said that he didn't understood why they hired women in leadership positions because wow. it was a men's company or a men's brand. And all of a sudden I felt this responsibility to the people that reported to me to allow them opportunities and to be able to push for opportunities. And if I worked in environments, I needed to change those environments. I did what I could while I was there and I did the best that I could to change the environment for the people who came after me. But at the end of the day, it seems like there was a stronger pull to be able to change those environments from the outside and to do it from a consulting perspective and to do it from a speaking perspective and a storytelling perspective. Cause I really do believe that storytelling is how the world changes and people just coming in and saying, do this, do that is not the way that real change is made, which is why we're in this divisive culture that we're in right now is because that's how everybody's pushing their opinions. Instead of telling the stories that are personal and vulnerable in nature and allow us to be out in the forefront, being who we truly are and being authentic to ourselves. And so it's, it was kind of a whim, to be honest with you. I've never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Um, there's a lot that goes into being an entrepreneur that I don't love to do. I'm not an Excel spreadsheet person by any stretch of the imagination. And I hate networking and going out and selling myself. Those things are really difficult for me. And I can admit to that. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some beauties of it too. Getting to call your own shots, being able to sit in front of a computer and when the moment isn't there, walk away and do something else so that you're consistently productive during the day. You're not wasting time, which no one thinks that they are, but you start putzing around on that computer, checking unnecessary <laughs> emails, going through the spam, right? And yeah. you you become disenfranchised with what you're doing and you, you're not as engaged. And I like that part of the entrepreneurship that I can be engaged in what I'm doing and I can set the stage for who and where I want to go to make the biggest impact. Well, it, it's you talk about being an entrepreneur and I'm, I'm interested because we have, I know we have quite a few people listening to this who aspire to be entrepreneurs and you talked a little bit about some of the pitfalls i mean what should our listeners know about being an entrepreneur about about that journey aside from what you what you just shared the ups the downs what's uh you know i spent their job and become their own person become their own boss what should they do i spent I'm going to say I spent 35 years of my life looking for my purpose. I was that dork who went online and ordered every book about being happy, every book about finding your purpose, like all the wrong things to do to find it. And when I finally found it, I thought, oh, great, I'm here. This is it. 
And then it was like being slapped in the face by the largest hand ever. Like it would be like Shaq smacking me in the face. I'm a five foot two girl. That's, that's going to (laughs) hurt. And it's the reality of the fact that just because you know what you love doesn't mean that the hard part is done. And the number one thing that I would say to people is grace and space, grace and space, grace and space. You have to create grace and space for yourself through the journey because you have spent your lifetime doing something and mastering something. And now you're becoming an entrepreneur, which means you now have to master 750 more things. And you think you have to master them in the next 24 to 48 hours. And the truth (laughs) of the matter is you don't. And providing that grace and space to move at a speed that makes sense for you and to to not let money be the carrot if you're going to go into entrepreneurship it never should be about the carrot of money it Mm. should be the carrot about putting yourself in the space where you get to thrive and be engaged in something that you love to do if it is just about the money it'll never actually meet your needs and that's such a cliched answer for it but you can hate working for yourself just as much as you would hate working for somebody else the only difference is now you have to do all of the work so if you don't love it you're not going to bust your ass the way that you would if it's something that you love and you're truly behind this is the hardest thing i've ever done um it is not without i probably cry once a day um (laughs) probably more than that but i'm trying to impress you guys um and i'm consistently faced with not knowing how to do something and having to Google it or teach myself or YouTube video or go ask experts that I know and asking for help is hard. And it's hard when you're um, an independent person and you think that you can do everything by yourself. So giving yourself the grace to mess up and, and to know that it's not the end all be all, I think is really important. Dawn, this is, I mean, truly inspirational. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited and I really, I really, really appreciate this work. And I think it's so important and I'm glad that you're here. So we're going to talk about something that you do love also, which is Portland, Oregon. I do. I was on a flight recently and the person sitting next to me lives in Salt Lake City, but they told me that if I traveled anywhere, it has to be Portland. And I made a face because mm-hmm. as an East Coaster, the only thing that I think about Portland, Oregon is like clouds and rain. Yeah. And um, but they told me that I was absolutely wrong. Yeah. Tell us something that is I mean, I've already heard some things and I want to confirm this is going to be a, a confirmatory conversation. What are some of the best things about Portland? What should we know? Where should we eat? Where should we drink? What's going on there? Well, first of all, I really appreciate that question because Portland has been in the news a lot in the last year, and we have been kind of ground zero for a lot of unrest. And because of that, I think people are afraid of Portland or afraid to come to Portland. And Portland Mm -hmm. is a really beautiful city. I've born and raised here. I have a special affinity for it. I think it has to do, we're West Coasters, so we're a little slower than you guys are (laughs) in just our way of life. We're a little bit more lackadaisical, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, we're beautiful because of that rain and those clouds, which don't happen as much as everybody thinks they do. In <laughs> fact, Seattle rains more than we do. And technically, New York rains more than we do. Technically, sure. come on. <laughs> it's just that in New York, you get these like monsoony rainstorms, whereas sometimes we have like drizzle for a few days. So, sure, like, so rainfall. More total units. rain, yes. more total yes. rain, but not. 
maybe not more yes. frequent, that type of thing? Correct. But, you know, global warming is real for those who want to question it. I'm going to put the line in the sand. And so we, we, <laughs> we do have less rainy days than we once did, but we're still a really beautifully green state. Uh, you know, I, I moved away for 11 years and came back home and was just in marvel at the fact that there are like 953 different colors of green here, mm. which is a really beautiful thing. We're a culture of people who are outside rain, snow or shine. Yep. It doesn't matter. You'll see people biking to work in the snow. You'll see it in the rain. It doesn't matter. We're, we're polite. We have nice little signs in our yard asking people to slow down and they actually do it. Um, it's a little weird. We have really good food. Um, yes, really, really good that. food. Where, where, um, should we, where should we drink? I really like Lechon, which is a Spanish restaurant that has amazing empanadas and, and food. Mm. And they do these really cool Sunday suppers where they'll choose a different country. And the whole themed supper will be for that country. And the chef will come in and do all sorts of stuff. It's a really amazing restaurant. Um, Ox is a really good Argentinian steakhouse that'll just blow your mind. Everything's smoked and great. And then my favorite little, I'm a whiskey drinker normally, but 3.30 in the afternoon I thought was a little early uh, for whiskey today. So I didn't do it. But there's a great little lounge called the Pope House um, inside an old Victorian coffee house where you can taste just about any bourbon whiskey or scotch you can think about and uh if you drink 50 of them not in one day obviously oh, but if you okay. drink 50 over a time say, you get a like nice a challenge <laughs> yeah it's a chat i've been doing this for five years trying to get my 50 in there and once you get 50 you get like a little horseshoe plaque that goes on the wall and you get a 10 percent discount for life which i'm like I'm frugal. So I'm like, this is great. Um, uh, and I think I'm at like 35 whiskeys right now. So I'm getting real close and sneaking in on it. And hopefully once COVID uh, kind of uh, turns around and backs out of here, then maybe I can go back and fulfill my 50. What about, I've been to Portland uh, a, a bunch of times. My, what my, my closest buddy growing up moved out there uh, probably about 10, 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, long, longer, actually. Uh, and so I've been out to your city quite a few times to visit him. Um, we always find the balance of bar hopping and jukeboxes and drinking a whole bunch of drinks and getting out to the coast yes. um, or hiking. Yeah. I've got to tell you, I've been a lot of places. I mean, not 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 everywhere, but I'm not sure I've seen a more beautiful place place than the Oregon coastline. I agree. It's my and favorite I'm, place in the whole world. And no matter how many places I've been, I come back, I probably go to the Oregon coast at least once a month, even if it's just for the day, especially during COVID, I would go for the day with my little cooler and I might've put a beer or two in there yeah, and a book yeah. and a towel. And I would sit at the beach for like 10 hours a day. Like it's just a really beautiful place. I have a, this is, uh, I, I wasn't going to tell this story, but I will. Now that I, I finished that bottle of wine, but it wasn't full. You all should know this. You all should know this. When I, was hanging out, I was hanging out in Portland. This is probably um, 20. Oh, this is 20. It's 2011. And I'm at a bar with my buddy and uh, we are drinking heavily. And uh we fin we end the night. He he's like, I've got to go home. So he goes home, points me to where his house is or his apartment, and it's like three blocks away. And I stumble there at two in the morning, and he's locked me out, and is not answering his phone. 
and is not answering me banging on the door. <laughs> and I am stuck between like, do I where? I mean, I guess I probably could have just slept in the hallway, but instead I actually broke the door off the hinges, which is not an, is not uh, me talking about how strong I am because I don't, I am not strong, but for whatever reason, I was able to do that. So anyway, I, cr I crawl into his apartment over this broken down door. And the next morning I wake up and he's equal parts pissed at me and thinks it's like awesome. Um, and so we like fix the door and hop in a car, hung over is all anything. And we drive out to the coast of Oregon and we stop and get cheesed. Uh, what's the town out there? Tillamook? Tillamook, yeah. We stop in Tillamook and we get a bunch of cheese and a bunch of beers and we stop and get clams and we're with his buddies and we play soccer on the beach uh, on the Oregon coast. And it's just like four of us. And I didn't know two of the guys, they were his buds, but uh, we had the most amazing, amazing day. And we came back uh, and I'm sure I'm going to get, sh I'm sure I'm going to get shit for this because it's going to, it's going to not sound romantic, but I think it is. We came back and we stopped at a restaurant on the way back and I'm having this most amazing day ever. And I'm like, uh, my girlfriend at the time, my now wife is just not there to like experience it. And so I yeah. call, I call my wife from the parking lot of a restaurant uh, outside, everybody's inside. And I asked her to marry me over the phone. No um, way. Yeah. And I was like, I'm just, I'm having the most amazing day. And I, I, I am heartbroken that you're not here to experience this. And I think, uh, you know, I'm like, can we get, you know, I don't even think I said, I didn't say, will you marry me? I said, I think we should get married when I come home. Uh, and we got married 12 <laughs> days later. And, uh, and it was like that whole scene and that whole uh, experience was just so moving that it was like, I don't know. I it felt like out wow. of We got to get you back here then to celebrate on an anniversary or something. That's the plan. I actually want to try and find that restaurant and stand right mm -hmm. in the the spot in the cracked parking yeah. lot and say, Gina, give me a kiss. Um, <laughs> I'm going to stay away then. If, if, if the magic is that strong, you're not trying afraid. to get married. <laughs> you're afraid. <laughs> sounds too magical. Uh, Antonio, Go just ahead. so you know, I've been here a long time. That magic is not that profound. Uh, <laughs> 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 it's a magical place, but it doesn't do that for everybody. Got it. Thank you. <laughs> we got to switch gears a little bit. I, I've tried to watch the show, Ted Lasso. You told us that you love the show. I've only, I've only tried to watch one episode, but I, I cannot get into it. Tell me why I should like Ted Lasso. Tell me why I should try again. Well, it's, first of all, it's amazing. It just swept the Emmys. So you got to really? do it. Yeah. And I would say to you, did you ever watch Schitt's Creek? Yeah, and I hated it. Oh, well, then you probably won't like Ted Lasso, <laughs> but it's beautiful for the same reason. It's beautiful because it is truly an ensemble. And when I say that, it's, it's, it's an ensemble style storytelling where even the smallest characters that may be on a different show, you would only see for 10 seconds and never mm. see again. That 10 seconds is so memorable for that character and they form fully formed to the character and the story, no matter what level of actor you are on the show. And, and like, I'm getting goosebumps. You probably can't see through the zoom, nor can anybody listening to a podcast. So that was a weird <laughs> thing to say, but uh, 
it's the kind of show that you smile the whole time you're watching it. Even if you never laugh in an episode, which would be mm. weird, you're smiling the whole time because it reminds you of humanity and that there is there are good people out there and that everybody has a dark side and a light side, but there is good in everybody. And I think right now in the world, we need that reminder. So I think that that's, uh, and I love that description of it because I think I had the same thing with Shit's Creek where I am waiting for a like drop down, drop, you know, uh, knock down, hilarious jokes upon jokes, arrested development type show. And from what people tell me, it's more like a character study yeah, and it's yeah. more evocative than it is uh, hilarious, which by the way, I love that stuff. I think with both those shows, I was expecting something different than what I actually got. So I think it's like, you know, I'm like, you know, Gina's like, what do you want to watch? I'm like, oh, let's watch something hilarious. I heard Ted Lasso is yeah. great. And now we're yeah. watching it. And I'm like, what's going on? Why am I yeah. not laughing? Right. And it was, I think it was more that vibe. And I, I could get into it in the way you're describing. And it is also, I will say this, in my opinion, both shows are put your cell phone down kind of shows. Because if you miss mm. a moment of the brilliance that's happening, the small little throwaway lines and things like that, you miss half the show. Like it really? is definitely a show you have to watch. Yeah. I've, I've watched Shit's Creek six times all the way through. Like I, it's a beautiful piece of art. Like it should win every award. And Don, I just got some text messages from some of our listeners who said that your description of Ted Lasso was so powerful that they actually, they did see your Aww. goosebumps through the podcast. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, I got a little goosebumps. I got a little goosebumps there. I may actually. Yes. Have, I love it. I'm on to the second bottle. Second bottle. Party it up. Are you using a glass this time at least? No. Nope. No. Come on. No, no glass. Oh, my God. No gosh. glasses for Michael. That's so much work to do. <laughs> it's already in glass. Oh, gosh. Touche. <laughs> no, don't you say him. No. I know. I shouldn't have done it. I opened don't up the door. Don't encourage me. You're giving me goosebumps. <laughs> Dawn, uh, we're going to shift a little bit back uh, to our earlier conversation. I'm curious, um, what is something that organizations are getting right when it comes to um, really recognizing and thinking about um, equity and equality in gender? Um, have you seen anything in 2020, 2021 um, that you feel like folks are, are nailing and getting right? I think from a corporate culture, no. I don't think that there is anything that's going right. I think mm. there is a broader conversation going on, but I think people are being bullied into the conversation. Mm. And mm. so I, I wouldn't say companies are out there going, yes, we love this so much. Let's go do no. it. And, and that's unfortunate, but there are conversations happening. And I think that that's really good. Um, and it, it can't hurt to get the conversation out there. But, you know, I think most organizations from an advertising perspective are thinking about it and yeah. they're looking at it and you're seeing a, a, a market change in some of the ways that we're advertising to women nowadays. We're being a little bit more explicit, but in an authentic way, like we're not. Uh, for example, birth control ads or, or period ads, they're not hiding from the fact that, oh my gosh, this really happens. Yes. Or, or, you know, <laughs> just, we're no longer seeing women frolic on the beach in a tampon ad as if that's what we do. Um, 
So yeah. I think some some of the marketing and advertising has changed. But when I really look at corporate culture, I don't think there's enough attention being put onto the subject matter. And I don't think there's enough to look at um, how we can create career pathing and how we can create management and leadership styles that um, are female friendly and that are um, non-harassing in nature and non-limiting in nature. Um, which unfortunately is still out there in a really heavy way. Dawn, it's so interesting that you mentioned the, the commercial um, aspect. I have noticed it. And I remember the first commercial that I saw that was not the like, you know, talking to the side about, yep. about that. And I kind of looked up at the TV like, oh, wow. Well, like, <laughs> this, like we're, okay, we're doing this. We're doing this. We're going, we're, go, we're, we're having this. And it also reminded me like, I think I also got, I, I get frustrated with that that term that I kept hearing, which was like, believe women, believe women, like when there were certain, like when yep. folks were making allegations and the fact that we have to tell ourselves right. and say, believe women, like, like, as opposed to like, in the past we had it. And yep. that, that, that we, that, and you're right, like we're, we're, we're pushing in ourselves. And I think we have to bully people into this. We have to push folks to like, face these these facts like we can no longer live um with this little glass dome over us and i'm i I wish we didn't have to say those things but if it's what we have to do in order to to bring about change and equality then and i think a lot of the stuff that i'm leading with in the corporate space is look when we talk about gender and equity and we help come in there and create mm-hmm. a better system for how you're handling that, your profits are going to increase. Your innovation is going to increase. Mm-hmm. So as a company, you should care about that. Absolutely. As an educator, you should care about putting out better students, regardless of whether or not they're female or male, regardless of whether or not they're transgendered and they don't identify with the uh, gender that you think that they do. We should be. We should want to lift these people up and allow everybody to be authentically in the space that they feel that they belong into. That is how we get innovation. That is how we get companies that work well. And so it's sad that we have to approach it, approach it that way and say profit is going to happen. But the statistics show that there's no denying that. So if as a human being, you don't care about the value system of that, or you don't care to lift up women, or you only care if it's your sister or your mother, but no other woman, because we hear that a lot too, is what if it was your sister? Well, who cares if it was your sister, right? Um, Until we get to that point, then I, you know, we are going to have to bully people into it, which doesn't always get a a good, uh, look, not everybody's excited to see me coming in to be the speaker, right? Like, great, (laughs) we're going to talk about gender equity. I like, I don't get a lot of flowers or you know, special packages sent to my room or something like that. Mm. It's not the most exciting topic in the world. But I think that as people really learn the background of it and they understand it better, I do think it opens up the eyes of people to sit there and say, this is still a problem. We we still do have an issue. There's a statistic that I found that said there are more uh, CEOs named David than there are women in leadership positions. Wow. That should... That you should respond that way, right? Like that should get people in the in the gut or in the throat and and make them feel that way and and remind them that there is still an issue, right? 
there is still things I've experienced hmm. sexual harassment. I've experienced sexual violence in a workplace environment, physical violence, limitations on my career. Those things are happening today. And I am not an exclusive person in that. My story is not unique. And that's hmm. unfortunate. My wife, my wife has said things to me. Like if I like, if I had, you know, a dollar for every time I was sexually harassed yep. in my career, and she's a different generation. Yep. I, I mean, I shouldn't say, I mean, it's just, it's more, I mean, look, it's just more, uh, there's the, to, to Vance's point, the believe one, the believe women, right? The Me Too movement mm -hmm. has created, I think, more of a space, though not all the space, probably not even close, but but for folks her generation and your generation, I think you all are about the same age. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you need any more evidence, right? Did you see the testimony of the, the yes. U.S. gymnasts, right? Yes. Simone Biles and Allie Raceman, Kayla Maroney. I forget the, I forget the fourth woman's name. I mean, these are some of the most famous and recognizable people in the world. Granted, they weren't necessarily that when the abuse was taking place, or at least not all of them. But the fact that the FBI didn't listen, they didn't care. Nobody like here are these like you know like one of my biggest pet peeves and calling it a pet peeve actually probably minimizes it but the whole like well why didn't she just come forward 10 years ago when it happened it's just yeah. like well because simone biles who's one of the probably most the 20 most famous people in the world who's got the uh, the biggest platform you could imagine wasn't believed yeah. right and was made to feel like she was that had done something wrong in this situation, right? And so it really, everything you're saying really, really resonates. And, you know, it's also not just about the belief. I think the belief is the core of it for sure. But, you know, it's it's also about being dragged through the mud again. The One of yeah. the things is that, mm -hmm. you know, when women stand up for themselves, we're often uh, put to a different standard than men are when they stand up for themselves. We are not supposed right. to have an aggressive nature. We're not That's supposed right. to stand up against something. And so there's one part of it that's not believing, but there's that other part where they're just dragging you through the mud about it. It's not yeah. just about not believing you. It's about you're disgusting and how dare you and how could you and why didn't you and what did you do? So there's all of these things that cause this self-reflection on a woman and um, and destroys you internally. It's you know, there's so many levels to it that we could never get to on a on a, a podcast of this length. But there's so many levels to it that we're not thinking about. And as we get into a new modern age in which we're talking about mental health and we're being more honest about how mental health affects people in all areas of life, we need these people to speak out because it does give room. Me Too movement despite its flaws, and it does has flaws as almost every movement does, right? Despite its flaws, it started a conversation. And that conversation is great. But unless we pick up the baton of the talk and start creating actions, then it doesn't matter because we have been talking about women's equality for 100 years. 100 years, right? Uh, don't even get me started on the race conversation, right? That you're talking about 400 years of talking about this. So talking isn't enough, but it is the only way in which I know that I can go in and make a change is to come in and tell stories, to tell the stories of other women that are not being told and tell the reason why those stories matter. And so in a lot of ways, I got tired of my situation and I compare it to other women and I had it lucky. 
And if I had it lucky and it did what it did to me, then what is it doing to these other women? And what can I do to help? And it may be eliminate girl hate. I hope that it is. That's what I'm working for it to be. But wherever Mm -hmm. I go for the rest of my life, my purpose, my mission is to lift up other women and put them in places where they belong and where they authentically want to be. That's my life mission, whether that falls under eliminate girl hate or anything else. Well, what a what a mic drop uh, way to way to way to, <laughs> way to close us out, Dawn. Um, incredible, incredible spending time with you and learning from you. Uh, I agree that we barely scratched the surface. So, would you be up for coming back on an episode down the road? Of course, and talking more. Of uh, course, anytime. Awesome. That'd be awesome. Tell us, tell folks where they can find you on social media if they wanna. Uh, I know you have. Uh, we were talking about you're wearing an awesome eliminate girl hate hoodie, which yeah. I'm gonna. Be buying a couple of those tomorrow. Tell people what they need to know and how they can support the mission. So the website is eliminategirlhate.com. You can buy merchandise there. You can learn about what we do as far as where we go in and speak and do um, different types of consulting. Um, Any purchase that is made, a portion of that goes to a scholarship fund for some high school girls here in the Portland area. Mm. Um, And then on social media, it's Eliminate Girl Hate, uh, Instagram and Facebook. It's you can find us pretty easily. Amazing. Well, um, Dawn, thanks so much for being here. Uh, I I know I learned a lot. Yeah. Well, you're welcome. And and just thanks so much for sharing everything you're doing with us. And thanks so much for just doing what you're doing. It's really, uh, it's really amazing. And uh, so, uh, so glad to have you be a part of a part of our little universe for a little while. So um, for uh, Antonio Vance, um, I'm Michael Sonberg. This was Informal Observations, and until next time, keep on rocking. This was Informal Observations with Skyrocket Educator Training. Sign up for our mailing list at wewillskyrocket.com and look out for our next episode.